This podcast is brought to you by Civic Tech Innovation Network in partnership with Voice of Vids. Welcome to another episode of the Civic Tech in Africa podcast. I am Natim Gregor. This week, we are looking at our third digital dialogue in partnership with the International Civil Society Center. In our current digital age, civic tech organizations, civil society organizations, and similar advocacy organizations have played and continue to play an important role in either collecting and providing the public with access to data or fighting government institutions for access to open data that is accessible and comprehensible. In this session, we spoke to civic actors who shared insights and lessons from their experiences in making data accessible and comprehensible through partnering with the government. Joining us for this discussion are Shika Shrestha, Theo Chiviru, and Zuki Swakota. All right, so now we're starting the event. Uh, my name is Tolu Adeyemo. I'm a senior program manager at Code for Africa. Uh, Code for Africa is a non-profit organization that pioneers open data, data journalism, and civic technology in Africa. I am an African woman from Nigeria. I am light-skinned, and my hair is short, and I'm wearing a white shirt. Um, it's my pleasure to moderate today's discussion, which is brought to you by Civic Tech Innovation Network and the International Civil Society Center. Thank you for joining us from all across the globe for today's dialogue titled Making Data Accessible the role of government and civil society partnerships in building open and comprehensible data sources. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Shikash Shrestha, who is the head of programs, inclusive governance at voluntary services overseas in Nepal. Um, Shika has professional experiences centered on gender equality and social inclusion promotion. Uh, strengthening social accountability and good governance. Also, we have with us today Adenike Aloba. Adenike is Data Fights Program Director, and she has extensive knowledge and experience in media development, people management, process and project management, as well as strategic communication. Also, join me as we welcome um, Zukiswa Kota, who is currently the South Africa Program Head at the Public Service Accountability Monitor, which works in six African countries, um, including South Africa, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Zambia, Mozambique, and Malawi. Last but not the least, uh, we have Tio Chiviru. Uh, Tio is a governance expert with experience supporting and engaging government multilateral institutions, private sector, civil society to develop and implement reforms. So yeah, so thank you all for joining the discussion. Um, so to kick off this discussion, um, our speakers will share insight into their work, projects, and then um, share experience, uh, some of their experiences uh, leveraging partnerships with governments and other civil society stakeholders. So um, I think uh, I would like to start with um, Chika. Namaste, I'm Shika Strasta, representing uh, a VSO and LNOV consortium in Nepal. I'm a South Asian woman wearing red blouse and off-white uh, sari. It's more like an ethnic uh, uh, dress 
in uh, South Asia. Today, I'll be sharing our experience of CSO Consortium engaging very closely with the government in strengthening the citizen-generated data. Uh, if we talk about a Leave No One behind, behind Consortium, is it's the consortium of the INGOs and the NGOs like NGO Federation, Youth Advocacy Nepal, Beyond Beijing Committee. It envisioned to strengthen the capacity of civil society organizations so that they can strengthen the voice and the agency of the marginalized community so that they can themselves make the duty bearers accountable. We use multi-stakeholder dialogue platforms and also generate the inclusive data that is further used as the uh, for the evidence-based uh, advocacy to strengthen our vision of leaving no one behind. We are working very closely with the state institutions like National Planning Commission, Central Bureau of Statistics, and National Human Rights Commission. In terms of the citizen-generated data, it's, as the name indicates, is the data generated by the citizens. And this is the strong mechanism for empowering the citizens so that they can use these data as the evidence for advocating for uh, uh, claiming their rights and also making uh, duty bearers accountable so that uh, the voices of people are being used in the policy and the planning. And this process is supported by the non-state act actors as well as the government. In terms of uh, Nepal, we are using uh, the community scorecard as a key uh, process of uh, citizen or the community-led monitoring process. We mobilize the people and the communities together and also have the interface dialogue with the duty bearers. It provides a platform, especially the marginalized ones, to have the dialogue with the duty bearers and also share these findings at the different platforms and use that platform for uh, providing the policy rep recommendation. That's definitely the area for amplifying their voices that has been on, on heard earlier. If we see uh, the most of the community scorecard data, we have have found that the right holders were relatively high optimistic about the future than the duty bearers. It clearly indicates that people have much more higher expectations than the reality that has been seen by the duty bearers. On the other hand, if we see the present condition, especially the duty bearers claim that they are doing more, but that is not the case by the right holders. So there is also the mismatch between the expectation and the reality uh, in, in the uh, community and from the duty bearers side. So this is a very good a tool for bring for managing the expectation and also raising the voices so that duty bearers can hear the concerns of the people and also use those concerns for their planning and policy implementation processes. We have uh, seen uh, much more challenges, yes, uh, uh, especially of on, uh, addressing the issues of underlying systemic discrimination and on, on unequal power relations. Yes, we have brought people, especially the marginalized, together with the platform of the government. But we have found that due to the hidden unequal power relationship, these people are not able to raise their voices more strongly. So we have to uh, do much more efforts on there. There are also not standard mechanism of generating citizen led data that creates much more skepticism and uh, uh, not accepting this data as, and much more concerns on the quality of the data. We all know that citizen generated that has a huge meaning and, and it can create a lots of the impact on bringing the voices on the same, same platform promoting the equality, but the investment in this area is very low.
In terms of working together with the government, we have been working very closely with the government from the initial phase of sensitizing the government on the relevance of the citizenly data, its importance on strengthening the government's accountability and the responsiveness and its effectiveness. And the, we have reached to the stage of engaging the government in this process. However, we still need to make efforts of, of owning this process by the government so that they would provide much more efforts on institutionalizing this process of citizen generating data to use as a key tool for the planning and the policy implement policy procedures. We also need to strengthen a lot, uh, uh, work a lot on strengthening the data quality. And as I said earlier, address the barrier of systemic inequality. As we all know that there are so much of the inequality that has not been explored much. We need to strengthen those uh, people whose voices has not been heard and empower them so that they can claim their rights much more strongly. And for this, we need to work together, both the government and civil society need to work together and the citizen data can be a very strong tool for meeting our vision of leaving no one behind. Thank you very much, namaste. Thank you for the presentation, Chika. Those have, I mean, your presentation is very insightful. So um, I think Adenike, you can go next. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Adenike Aloba. I am a Black uh, lady from Africa, Nigeria specifically. I'm speaking to you from Abuja. I am wearing red spectacles and a Black uh, top with African prints. Uh, this afternoon, I'll be talking to you about, you know, the data landscape in Nigeria and the work that my organization has been doing around data accessibility and collaboration, both with the demand side of accountability and the supply side of accountability. Now, the data landscape in Nigeria, the best way to describe it is a terrain that is rough. Um, there are a few bumps some wide gullies around um, data accessibility in Nigeria. Um, one of the biggest challenges to data access is really that the fact that um, both the collection of data and the storage of data is still largely analog. A good example of that is that the registration of births and deaths and manually. So when you get to the hospital, when you have a baby, uh, they open a big register, oftentimes looking tattered, and they write those out. You get your birth certificate manually, they hand you a paper. Uh, data around immunization is also manual. I explain all this to let us know that largely um, data collection and data storage is still analog and clearly, um, clearly just bridging that gap alone is, is problematic and makes the landscape really, really a rough terrain. On the other hand, analysis and interpretation of data, especially for national decision-making, is still also largely lacking. Uh, there's clearly a lot of work that still needs to be done in the basic understanding of the collection, storing, and the use of data across the country. Uh, if you want to understand the challenges we still have, uh, the drama, or <laughs> permit me to describe it that way, that happened after the government announced the national identity number registration, which is supposed to be linked to your mobile numbers and will also be linked to other forms of identi identification like international passports, like um, 
like your bank details. The reaction that followed the government's announcement shows that there's still clearly a lot of learning. There's still quite a wide learning curve when it comes to communication and language around data, the language of description, uh, the language of communicating around the collection of data, around the storage of data, and around the use of data. And this learning curve is not just for the people, but it's also for the supply side, the government. How do you communicate this to the people and how the people will receive it. Um, so the fact that this is where we are as a country shows that there's still so much work to be done. There are conversations emerging now around the use of data and data safety and data protection. However, those conversations are always, uh, permit me to say, landlocked because of the very uh, significant distrust between government and the people. When it comes to accountability data, which is where uh, my organization really sits, the truth is getting data uh, uh, in Nigeria, really, especially accountability data, is like pulling teeth, is literally like uh, pulling teeth from government. Um, Nigeria joined Open Government Partnership in 2016, but until 2018, it was difficult to get any kind of track. Tra Up until 2018, uh, Nigeria getting data around budgets, getting data around uh, 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 contracting data, procurement data was still largely problematic. Where these data existed, you had to struggle, you had to fight, and they existed in forms that could not be easily used by the demand side of, of accountability. In 2018, uh, the government set up the, the uh, what we call the Nokopo portal. Now, the Nokopo portal is the Nigeria Open Contracting Portal. It was set up in 2018 for open, proactive publishing of contracting data. Uh, the World Bank CEFTAS project, CEFTAS is the State Fiscal Transparency, State Fiscal Transparency Accountability and Sustainability Project. The project incentivized uh, open government for states, especially at the sub Eight, 28 states out of the 36 and the federal capital territory in Nigeria have an, have an open data portal. However, openness has been gradual. Openness in Nigeria is literally like watching a baby try to walk. There's a lot of falling. There's a lot of stumbling. But when it comes to proactiveness, that's even less <laughs> the advancement when it comes to proactiveness is even less because most of the data, by the time they come out, they're at least two years old, which has implications for the demand for transparency and accountability. For instance, the Nigerian government just published their uh, uh, accounting statements, general accounting statements for 2018. So here we are in 2022. That's at least five years old. And there's you, you have to then start working. But the truth is, the deed is already done. If you layer that over very weak, um, um, very weak uh, uh, judicial system, very weak uh, systems of, uh, uh, of accountability, uh, the anti-corruption agencies, there's not a lot of proactiveness in acting. There, there's a lag 
between the transparency that open portals like Nokopo has given us and the transparent and the and the accountability that should come from that. There's a lag. Now for data fight, what we have been doing in the last two years is that we have committed to helping both the demand side of accountability, which we define as media, civil society, as well as uh, state, uh, state, uh, as well as um, actors who demand for accountability at the, at the state level. Uh, those are the demand side of accountability. We have committed to empowering the demand side and the supply side of accountability, which is government. To, so, so our thought or our theory is that we help the demand side so that we can stimulate a demand for data so that this demand for data can, can result into a more proactive supply of data. And we help the supply side to proactively digitize their, their, their data. So uh, for instance, we have helped uh, Equity State to set up their own open, uh, open data portal. And on, 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 on the demand side, just recently, we were in Edo, Jigawa, we were in uh, Edo, Jigawa, and Benin, just um, helping uh, demand-side actors, uh, media, um, civil society, and change agents in those states, helping them to make a demand on this data. And making a demand on the data involves understanding, you know, just what data is, how to interpret data, how to question data, how to analyze, and then move forward to demanding accountability from this data. In reality, we found in one instance in, in, in a Boeing state, a project that had been abandoned for over a year. Um, workers, the government was forced to detail workers back to that project after uh, a training for media and civil society in that state. So we helped them to interrogate that data and to demand accountability. And there was almost immediate response. So it kind of says the theory that if you stimulate demand, then supply side would also uh, kind of be forced to ask. This has been the nature of our work. In terms of collaboration, to be fair and to be frank, it's, it's a little bit of here and there with Nigerian government. Uh, this is a government that is quite opposed, especially at the central level, and even more so at the state level, questions being asked. Um, I'm sure most of us have seen Nigeria's uh, uh, position on the Press Freedom Index, and that kind of gives you a sense of the state of uh, press freedom and the state of um, uh, uh, freedom of expression in the country. Sorry, my light is back so you can see me again. And the state of, yes, uh, freedom of expression in the country. It tells you, it gives you a sense of just the nature of that collaboration. So sometimes it's a dance forward and they dance back. Uh, what we think, uh, and this is a nascent theory really, what we think is that where media can put their foot down and demand certain questions and lay certain questions down and say this must happen, um, the civil society can help to to uh, facilitate dialogue. And because data fights straddles both, we're both a civil society organization because we have a not-for-profit and we are media. It enables us to both kind of investigate, to kind of both dangle the carrot and the stick in this case. So I'm going to stop talking now because I feel like I don't know if I've exceeded my five <laughs> minutes, but yeah. Um, thank you very much, Dolu, and thank you, everyone. Thank you so much, Adenike.
Um, okay, that's that was really really insightful for uh, telling us about uh, the work that you do at the, the fight and some of the challenges you experience working with um, the Nigerian government. Okay, so um, Zukiswa, can you give us a, a brief background into your work and your experience with government collaboration? Thank you so much. Um, my name is Zukiswa. Um, I wear spectacles. I'm an African woman um, with dreadlocks. And today I'm wearing a blue and white uh, cotton shirt um, and talking to you from South Africa. Um, I will specifically, our organization, the Public Service Accountability Monitor, works um, in various contexts, um, you know, but one of the countries and the country that I, you know, who's, that I primarily focus on in South Africa. Um, and to give a very brief, brief background, um, we focus, I'll focus on budget data. Um, primarily because, and, and interesting to hear the similarities with Nigeria, the public data terrain is very varied, um, very diverse in South Africa. So I think it, it'll be helpful to focus on one particular area, which is fiscal transparency and, and, and budget data. Um, I'll actually time myself. <laughs> so access to budget data and, and transparency is relatively high in South Africa. Um, in 2019, by example, um, the country scored 87 out of 100 in the open budget survey. Many on the call will, will have, you know, knowledge of what the open budget survey is. But just an indication, um, a, a transparency score of 61 and above out of 100 um, uh, indicates that a country is likely to be publishing enough or sufficient material or budget documents to support informed public debate um, around the budget, around public finances. So in the OBS, um, the, the global average in that year, in 2019, was, was only 45 out of 100. And so the indication there is that essentially 75% of the countries that were surveyed, and I think in that year, 115 or 117 countries were surveyed, 75% of them um, scored insufficient levels of, of budget, you know, transparency or fiscal transparency. Um, and as I've mentioned, South Africa, or I didn't mention, but South Africa scored 87 out of 100. So that gives you an idea of the level of um, national budget data transparency. But having said that, it's important then to flag um, the difference in transparency um, and access to, to data, but also the, the level of public participation in relation to the budget process. Um, so participation challenges are one of the reasons for us that we've sought to better understand the terrain um, of digital um, you know, data, the terrain of, in particular, you know, budget, budget data. And so we've partnered with government and other civil society partners um, to, to kind of have a closer look at this and to influence the context. The participation scores, public participation scores out of 100 for South Africa were 24 in that same year. So year on year, the indication is that there is inadequate or, you know, I use the word dismal um, public participation or support for public participation in, in the budget process, which is really, I guess, you know, in many respects, what actually matters. Um, so we have found that the Open Budget Survey, um, as in, in combination with our historical work in the space, um, has, has really helped us not only to evaluate government's performance, 
but also to identify opportunities to support and to collaborate with government partners and you know government entities on on the key issues identified and so the ourselves as a as an individual organization we've we've formulated or contributed to the formation of budget coalitions one of which is called imalier which means our money um, loosely speaking and the idea there was to um, use the experiences and use the findings of various surveys including the obs um, to collaborate with government and other governments, you know, you know, entities, public entities, um, to develop, for instance, the country's first open budget data portal that really is focused on provincial and national open budget data, budget data, planning data, and really we're excited in the next phase, we're hoping to be looking at, deeply looking at, or closely looking at procurement data. The tool itself is called Wulega Mali, and it is a kind of the, the result of direct co-production between civic actors who identify significant challenges within access to data. Um, and so the, the challenges, though, I have to say, I've, I've noted there are, there's the national level access, but the sub-national access issues, um, for example, provincial data and sectoral data, so health, education, and so on. There are fundamental challenges there, which we don't have a chance to go into today, but, but it's, no, it's really important for us to note those. So why open data and fiscal transparency or fiscal policy in particular? For us, we found that one avenue um, that enables us to deepen spaces for democratic deliberation and public participation is the space of really deepening digital access and, and you know, open data, um, in particular, you know, budget data. So really, in, in, in summary, um, seeing my time, some of the lessons that we've learned and and that have encouraged us to continue on this work. You know, I think we've heard from our partners around the distinction between what's, what the public feels and thinks about the future in relation to access to information and so on, and what um, duty bearers reflect on and what they say is happening and, and, and their focus. Those, that that disjuncture, I think, does speak to a need to more deeply create those spaces for participation and engagement and co-production. So that's one area. Um, the other is that we are learning that in addition to the very real need to deepen transparency um, as one of the kind of anti-corruption interventions, there is also a benefit in opening up discussions and public debate about something as important as public finances. So it goes beyond the technical and really does speak to, you know, the kind of developmental questions that, we, that many of us in the social accountability space are invested in. Um, and I think really I'll, I'll stop there, but one of the kind of real investments that we've made and a real um, attention or, or intentional investment in the space is around deepening co-production and, and trying to build participation or build um, collaboration with other partners um, beyond ourselves and beyond organized civic, civil society organizations. Um, and so for us, a conversation like this is particularly valuable and, and already really teasing out some really interesting um, inputs um, from, from the other countries. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation, Zokiswa. Um, so I think now we can then hand over to Tio uh, for his presentation. Thank you, Tolu, uh, and thank you for inviting me. So my, my name is uh, Theo Chiviru, uh, and I'm a middle-aged African man. Uh, and today I'm wearing a, a white uh, sweater uh, with blue stripes. 
uh, and I'm also wearing glasses. And I'm talking to you today from Pretoria, South Africa. Um, so I think thank you definitely for for this you know for this discussion because this is a very important discussion that we at the Open Government Partnership uh, have been trying to you know have been grappling with, but also have been testing and seeing how partnerships between government and civil society can be strengthened and can be better. So the Open the OGP was founded ten years ago, um, and it was founded by at that time eight governments and nine civil society organizations. Um, and since then, the partnership has grown. Uh, today, we speak of 78 national governments, uh, 76 local governments, and uh, thousands of civil society that are part of the, of, the, of the OGP partnership. And at the time, at the launch of OGP in 2011, and still is, the idea around OGP was really to, to bring together government reformers and civil society reformers to work together to open up government and government processes uh, through information and data to citizens to ensure that there is you know, improved delivery of public services, uh, deter corruption, and improve the democratic lives of citizens. And the cornerstone and the may of the model of the open government model is the collaboration between government and civil society, building partnerships, those, you know, what we're talking about today, those partnerships between government and civil society, and, and in ensuring that those partnerships do, you know, are able to open up, you know, to open up government through, you know, creating access uh, of data to citizens, to be able to create spaces where citizens are able to engage with government um, and be able to shape policies and reforms around you know, the issues that matter to them as citizens, and also to create spaces where civil society and governments and citizens are able to deliberate on, on challenges that they are facing, maybe around corruption, around public service delivery, or you know, around, around the various issues that, that, sit, that matter to citizens. But most importantly, to make sure that there is a space where civil society governments and, 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 and citizens are able to co-create reforms to address the key challenges that, you know, that societies and citizens are facing. So, you know, in the 10 years that OGP has been existent, we have learned a couple of things, but the one big issue that we've learned as the OGP is that the model works. Partnerships between government and civil society are possible these partnerships that are meant to open up data and information and make data more accessible to citizens are actually possible and actually sustainable. I'll take you to just with two examples that I can give you. Uh, that I'll take you to, uh, to Uruguay, where an organization in 20, 2015 called Uruguay, uh, Data Uruguay, um, you know, joined together forces with the Minister of Health to develop uh, an online platform that is called Atu Servicio. And the main objective for that platform was to provide access, you know, easy readable information to citizens um, around uh, health healthcare providers so that citizens are able to choose the best healthcare service provider that works for them and their families. What this, you know, Artu Servicio did for citizens is that it empowers citizens to be able to choose and to know that for my family, this is the perfect healthcare provider that can help. And this empowers citizens to take healthcare into their own hands. Another example that I can share is, I'll take you to, 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 to Liberia, uh, where 
uh, and some of you might already know that, you know, land was a big issue in Liberia that has caused a number of civil wars in Liberia. And with Liberia joining the OGP, uh, an organization in Monrovia called the Sustainable Development Institution joined forces with the Ministry of with the Ministry of Energy and Mines and, the, and Internal Affairs to produce an online platform to disclose and to share information around around uh, um, land ownership through digitalized maps. What this information did is that it empowers citizens and the communities to push back to push back on mining companies that were wanting to take uh, to take their land. It also helped to, you know, to settle the long-standing land dispute issues that local communities were having, were having with, 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 with the mining companies. So these, these two examples and, and many others, and I think Zuki spoke about Voleka Mali, these examples and many others do prove that, you know, partnership between government and citizens to disclose information and to share information with citizens do actually work. But however, there is an ingredient that is very important. There are certain factors that can actually make this model work and how this, this model has actually worked for the Open Government Partnership. And I would like to share with you four um, ingredients that I can talk about. The first one is in to ensure that there is genuine dialogue between government and civil society, that a space is created where genuine dialogue actually happens between government and civil society, because only then is trust built for that, you know, for that collaboration to actually produce results and be transformative and improve a citizen's life. The second issue is to focus on the citizen. When you focus on the citizen, the first thing it does is that it creates a demand for the data, because civil society alone cannot ask for accountability from citizens, but only the you know citizens are able to push for for accountability together with civil society. So focusing on the citizen also empowers to shift the power dynamics between the citizens and those in power. And only then can we get you know developmental issues be be, be transformative, but also create uh, demand demand for for the use of that data. Because what we have what we're seeing, I think, in the last year, we've been having some very interesting conversations with some of some think tanks in the region around the use the use of data. And what we're hearing more and more is that a lot of the you know a lot of the data platforms are failing because they do not have they do they have not created the demand side because you know it's starting with with with, with an innovative with data but without the citizen so it's very important that whatever partnerships we build with government around this need to focus on the citizen the third is 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 a very important which is very connected to the to the second one is we need to start with the problem when you start with the problem, you start with the citizens. It ensures that you know the problem is addressing a local issue that citizens are that care about. And also governments begin to listen when civil society come with a solution to a challenge that governments are facing in terms of addressing some of the of the of the needs of the citizen. And and the fourth and very important one is that what we are hearing more and more from governments is that they want to build partnerships with civil society where civil society brings innovations, new ways of doing things. And I think this is something that you know these four uh, points that I've raised I think are very important for the sustainability and success of partnerships between 
government and civil society around you know making data more accessible so in closing i realize that i'm a type uh, but 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 in in closing i have to say that you know the data revolution theory of change that you know had we all had as 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 as, as data advocates 10 years ago which focused on 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 the thinking that you know the mere disclosure and sharing of information you know to citizens will actually um improve uh, uh developmental indicators hold you know ensure that governments are held more accountable is now outdated and i think we all agree that more and more we have realized that the mere disclosure of data is not what will transform people's lives or change or improve things and i think as we build these partnerships with government there are, there are a couple of things that we need to be very careful about number one we need to carefully think about the quality of the data and i think someone spoke about it the quality of the data is very important but most importantly who might use the data and in what way will these with these people use the data and 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 far most important to what end and only then will actually ensure that these partnerships actually transform people's lives thank you thank you for sharing the measures that you've taken to ensure successful collaboration with government uh with your within your country quickly um i would want us to combat some of the challenges or issues that were highlighted during the presentation um so let's discuss um so um some point that stood out was around um data governance transparency so technology has made um data cheaper and easy to conduct uh, and it's easy to conduct and uh, uh conduct public research while uh competition among journals have driven some researchers to prioritize visibility over integrity so as civic organization um i think it's critical to ensure that data shared to the public is credible so i would like to ask are, are there systems that you put in place in the organization to ensure that um research or data collection systems are conducted and they meet scientific merits so that to ensure that the study is of sound um, design and methodology um i'm going to open the floor to any of the speakers to uh, maybe share some insight on this yes i, I mean i think you know it, it's it's always um a very tricky one because i think and and, and i did speak about the quality and 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 uh, the quality of the data is really important and we i think as the as the ogp we actually work with partners that ensure that you know when data before data is is put out there there is the verification of the data but i think i'll go back to what i said i think especially you know when we talk about this partnership between government and civil society one key area especially when you look at for example governance data around fiscal data around you know or contracting data or beneficial ownership data the only way that we can make sure that this data is 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 credible and is is in the quality of the data is when we open it up to the citizen because citizens are the ones that experience and know what how we you know how the how they are being affected by by some of the reforms that governments are putting in place so so firstly we need to put in place systems as organizations to make sure that whatever data we put out there it is it is good it is the right data and the quality of the data is is quite high and i think we we no longer have the luxury 
You know, we no longer have the luxury of putting out data that is not correct, in inaccurate data. We no longer have the you know the the luxury to put out data that is not that is not of high quality. So I think I think it's very important as we I think from the civil society side to take it upon ourselves to make sure that whatever data we put out there it is it is quality data, but also making sure that whatever steps we take, citizens are part of the solution. Because one of the challenges that we faced is that because citizens are not part of the of of, of the solution. Much of the data is not verified. Civil society are the only ones that can verify that data. So it's very important that, that we do that. And the, we at the, at the OGP, something that we always continuously encourage both government and civil society to pay attention to. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. I agree. Um, we need to ensure that um, our data are more citizen focused. Okay, cool. Um, I don't know, Adenike or... Uh, Zukiswa, do you have any opinion on that? Is there anything you want to share? I totally know. I, I, I mean, I think my perspective has always been um, a bit of a maverick one and as far as um, the publication of data. And, and it is, I guess, the perspective of someone who's never been, I've never worked inside government, but my maverick perspective has always been um, publish it, put disclaimers on it and come back to it if you need to. But essentially that a big part of access to information um, is, is about managing risk in a sense. But I, I, I do think that maybe a little bit tangential to your question, but one of the very interesting um, ongoing dialogues we've had, for instance, with the National Treasury, who we've worked with and, and who really have been championing, um, you know, fiscal transparency over many years in South Africa. One of the really interesting ongoing dialogues has been about, you know, changing the paradigm about what what should be and can be publicly um, you know profiled and and um, uh, published information when is it ready when is it not um, and when is it uh, you know premature to to share and in fact a big part of that has been engaging around you know sometimes it is that you publish things before they are effectively ready in order to be able to influence public dialogue um, and find ways creative ways to kind of um, ensure that you still protect the credibility and integrity of, of the institution, but without um, essentially being opaque or, or, or kind of um, being closed off in decision-making. So that's been fascinating for me as an, as an outsider. And I, I would say that over a certain period of time, there has been some shifts in, in, in certainly in individual administrative staff's perspectives on that. And that's been fascinating to see, but that's very much at the individual level, I have to say. Okay, so just to follow up question, uh, so you uh, mentioned some of the um, measures that work for you, um, for your organization, working in South Africa. Um, just curious, like um, if you can make a comment on data accessibility across some of the other countries where you work. So you, um, your organization work in Zimbabwe, Tanzania, um, Mozambique, Malawi, do you have does the same measure work across those countries? Yeah, I mean the very quick and, and almost glib um, answer to your question is that of across our colleagues who work in those contexts, I think my job is easiest in as far as access to information is, but also in as far as um, supportive legislation. So I complain all the time, and and every now and then I get a reality check from my colleagues who not only don't always have um, the requisite or the supportive legislative reform, but also are in the process of informing that. So there's 
you know, there, there are disjunctures in that. Um, and, and then I think there's also maybe very much, I'd love to hear Adonike's perspective. I think, um, you know, we don't work in Nigeria, but we've got some partners there. And I, and I would say that the challenges are also um, a, a, exactly about um, what you were speaking about in relation to like um, the, 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 the various quality and the various levels of, of transparency and, and, and publication. Um, I do think, though, having said that, there are there are many areas, and one of them is fiscal transparency, in which I would say Nigeria is 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 ahead. You know, um, for example, in the context of procurement, I think we have a lot to learn in our context from from Nigeria um, in in kind of open contracting and open procurement um, reform. I don't know that that this, that's necessarily as strongly supported in the legislative context, but but maybe Adeniké can really um, go go in depth on that. Um, Indeed, when it comes to procurement and um, contracting data, there is significant openness, like I had said in my presentation, there's significant openness. The problem, the significant transparency is one, the proactiveness of that uh, transparency, because where the data is coming two years after uh, the work had been done, three years post the work, it makes accountability accountability a little harder. Now, the challenge with us is where there is that demand for accountability. And I did note that Theo was talking about, you know, engaging the citizens. And I think that I've always been of the opinion that in terms of engagement of citizens, the the media is critical. They have the platform to reach the most people at, uh, you know, at, for instance, so Datafy, published uh, an investigation into the procurement process of Oyo State. Oyo State is one of the uh, subnational level uh, government in Nigeria, where there had been contract uh, inflation and some level of uh, beneficial beneficial ownership uh, drama at work in that. Oftentimes, where you find Nigerians, and now I'm speaking as a Nigerian, who is the people who are supposed to be engaged in this process. So the story has been published. Um, Some people have done the work of actually taking contracting data and using it, but nothing has happened. No arrests not even conversation. Of course, the media conversations are happening. People are talking about it. But that fatigue, I, I, think, I, I think I want to hear Theo's uh, thoughts on Nigeria's uh, place in the OGP because I think that for us, um, there's such a gap between accountability and the transparency that we're now seeing. There's still quite a significant gap and so oftentimes the media does the work the people are enraged but because the people can't arrest the people can't question there are institutions that are supposed to do that where those institutions don't do their work i mean i i would say if anything in terms of just thinking around the subject i think the value chain of the demand for accountability needs to be expanded to include those who are supposed to act to include anti-corruption agencies to include the judiciary to say this is what is supposed to happen. But for me, uh, I've been saying this in every room I've been in in recent times, and it's that the question I've been asking, especially because of the peculiarity of Nigeria, it's that um, what happens, what, what will impact look like for us if status quo remains the same. Of course, the goal of most of our work is that status quo does not remain the same, is that there is some change on the level of 
government where there is actual accountability. But when status quo remains the same, what would the impact look like? And for me, that drives me right back to citizen engagement. Um, where the citizens may not be able to arrest anyone, they may not be able to prosecute anyone, but they do have a power that comes around once in four years, and that's their voting power. So I think that if, if, if the data that is available is used well enough, is stalled in a way that people can identify with and there's conversation around it, I will think that impact could then be empowering the citizens to use the power they do have to say, oh, you messed up in this way and we're not going to return you back to that office. I'll just, I think I'll just stop. Uh, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. So I think we, we, what you're saying in essence is holding our government uh, more accountable. Yeah, absolutely. There's another question here from Oliver Rack, um, and he said, "How do you cope with bilingual vocabulary, French or English within AU?" And there's a follow-up question that says, "Is there a core vocabulary for metadata?" So I think that's a very interesting question. Very interesting question. At, and, and at the risk of sounding uh, sounding like there's a handle on something that there's no handle on, the truth is because in the case of Nigeria, because we're still there's still so much struggle crossing over to the digital element, just taking ourselves from analog to digital. The conversation on language, especially of metadata, is not happening at any level that you can call it a constructive uh, uh, conversation. So the conversation happens in the technical room. So when I'm in a room with the guys who are building uh, whatever tech is going to be used for open data, when I'm in the room with the guys who are going to be managing that tool, that conversation does come up. How do we, what do we do about metadata? But in rooms like, uh, permit me to say like this, where the conversation around data accessibility is happening, there is very little attention paid to um, the language of the metadata, which actually has very significant impact on accessibility. So I think that's the response I can give to that. Perhaps someone else can speak to uh, bilingual uh, challenges mm -hmm. with the AU. Yeah, I just I think from my end on 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 the on on the French and English, and I think, you know, we as the OGP, being an organization, for example, in Africa, where sixteen members, are OGP in OGP are both in you know English and French, that idea, you know, whatever discussions and you know data that is being published around OGP, we are very sensitive around the French and English vocabulary, and we have to make sure that. And I think it speaks to the issue of us as data scientists to also be whatever we do to have that I, you know, the idea about the thought around language to be at the back of our mind. The challenge that we have is that when we develop data systems and tools, you know, language is the last thing we think about because it is at the at the at the time of interfacing with the citizen that we begin to think about oh okay we need to think about data we need to think about language but if we at the beginning of projects at the beginning of um of 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 processes we already begin to think about language whether because if we're talking about localizing information we're talking about in ensuring that the local communities are, are you know are engaging with the data language has to be at the beginning so just to say that we at the OGP we make sure that when we engage with you know not only with the African Union with the African Development Bank with institutions like UNECA language is very important to us and we make sure that whatever whatever space we create 
there is both English and French. Thank you for your inputs. Okay, so um, I have another question from, it says, um, the reality is that citizens require basic data literacy and they require access to connectivity or infrastructure to even get their hands on data. Um, so I'm going to direct this question to Shika because your organization work with volunteers, right? So um, how have you been able to tackle access and, and education, access to education to ensure that um, there is active citizenry uh, is being realized to bridge digital divide? Thank you very much uh, for the questions. I think there was also the, uh, the, uh, the question on the chat about how we ensure that it's not only the citizen, even the non-citizens should also have access to the data and the figure. So in that case, uh, what is uh, required is generally if we are about to break the skepticism of credibility of the data, mostly in terms of the South Asia, we use the tool that has even been uh, accepted by the government. So there are different social accountability tools. Like in our case, we are extensively using tools like social audit, uh, community scorecard, citizens report card. That has also been accepted by the government. And also the government also have published the guidelines. So that procedures, and also for the budget advocacy and the uh, uh, ensuring the public participation on the budget. So using the tool that has been accepted or accredited by the government it has always been helpful for breaking the kind of the challenges of the credibility of the data. Another one, as you said, uh, as we work very closely with the volunteers, we use uh, uh, there are lots of the community volunteers and we also use the model of the blended volunteer where the international volunteer work together with a national volunteer and national volunteers work very closely with the community volunteers. So there are lots of the tools that has been accepted by the international community that has been passed by the national volunteer and the national volunteers to the community volunteers who work very closely with the community and and if we are talking about the public participation, and especially the one, as Santos also raised, about the point of the intersectionality, if we're about to ensure the real participation, then we also need to uh, sensitize the community, especially the people who do not care about those data and the access. So in that case, community volunteer engagement has uh, going to the door-to-door, -door, going to the platforms where the, these uh, communities both being the citizen and non-citizens going there has always been helpful. So it's, uh, and as I also said in my presentation, there are the, uh, we need to break the barriers of the unequal power relationship. We also need to empower these people or strengthen voices of these people because they do not want to talk. They do not know how to talk. So it's also the role that has been played very strongly by our community volunteer by inspiring them, by helping them, and also by consolidating uh, their voices as the network uh, and the initiatives. Like There are lots of the youth network uh, that our youth volunteers has raised. So strengthening, consolidating, and uh, net, uh, amplifying their voices as a network through the engagement of our blended volunteering model has been very much helpful so that those voices are heard much more systematically. Hope I answered your question, Tulu. Yes, thank you so much, Shekhar. Um, thank you very much. Um, so I would like to use the opportunity to invite um, uh, the participants to join the next dialogue, which is titled um, Improving the Access of People with Disabilities to the Internet. This will take place on Thursday, uh, 
June 2nd at uh, 4 p.m. Uh, South African time, and it will be hosted by Bob Iverson. So um, just to give a quick summary of our discussion, um, so uh, we have uh, talked about some of the challenges that um, civil society organizations face when collaborating with, with um, government, and uh, we've been able to get some insight into uh, what has worked for some organizations, um, you know. So I think what what Adeniki highlighted initially was that there was a, there was a lot of learning curve that needs to be done by government, especially in Nigeria, regarding language uh, on data. Um, accountability data is is still a difficult terrain in most developing countries, right? So he, he, I believe that if we stimulate demand side, supply side to provide necessary data, so we, are, we all need to work together to facilitate dialogue and change in our society. So I think um, all the speakers were able to echo this and say that we need to um, encourage um, dialogue with government. We need to involve them. We need to involve the citizens. I just want to say a, a very big thank you to all our speakers. Thank you for your time. Thank you for such a great um, discussion. Thank you for spending your afternoon and evening with us. Thank you to our panelists, our partners at the International Civil Society Center, and to you for joining us for yet another episode of the Civic Tech in Africa podcast. For more on this and other upcoming events, visit our website, civictech.africa, and check out our social media platforms on the episode description. Until next time, goodbye. This podcast is brought to you by Civic Tech Innovation Network in partnership with Voice of Vits.